Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. If you have your Bibles, your phone apps open to Matthew 28, we are going to be looking at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, very end of Matthew's gospel. As you're opening, uh, I'll just remind us of another uh, crazy event. A couple years ago, we had this global pandemic and the COVID thing. And in the midst of uh, the COVID thing that was going on, we're all at home. ESPN decided to do us a favor and release one of the greatest sports documentaries ever. It's called The Last Dance about the last season of the Michael Jordan era Bulls in 1998. Anybody watch The Last Dance on ESPN? All right. Some of you in here like that. I don't, may, are there LeBron fans? What's happening here? Y'all are just like, no. Are there Steph Curry fans? Are there Magic fans? Okay, gotcha. We remember 1996. Okay, yeah. Tough. Anyway, uh, Michael Jordan. Let's get back to it. Michael Jordan, uh, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. It's an insight into the last season. And if you watch this documentary and the narrative of Michael Jordan's life, you would see that at certain particular points, someone would do something to upset him. And this meme developed out of there because he would just, he said this multiple times, he would just be like, yeah, and I took that personally, right? And then proceeded to just whoop them the next time I found them on the court. Just if someone slided me in the smallest way, I took that personally. And then I achieved my victory. I used this, this doubt and the haters that are against me to dominate them in the future and just kind of achieve victory and it was just this motivation and it happened over and over again. It became this meme, you know, my wife and I still quote that all the time, you know, something happens in life. I'm like, you know, our power went out, but our neighbors across the street didn't. And I took that personally, right? And uh, yeah, no, I, we, we, this is in many respects, the way that the heroic narrative operates in modern America in the modern West. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. There's a person who has some early onset uh, complications that happen in their life. Some doubters come against them. Some people tell them you'll never do it early on in their journey. And they file it away. Like the young kids say, they keep the receipts, right? They just keep them and they use it to motivate them to get to where they want to go. They set their goals and they achieve and they're doing sit-ups in a dark room somewhere, just ready to do the next thing. And then at some point they emerge into their field of play and they achieve the goal for which they set out. And at their victory speech, they said, some people out there thought we couldn't do it. Well, I'm here today to tell you it can be done. And all of their fans cheer and they're having this moment. This is the way we tend to think about a hero's arc in modern America. It happens everywhere. You see it everywhere. You see it in the Last Dance documentary and you see it in sports all the time. You also see this in politics. In Washington, D.C., the eighth mayor of Washington, D.C. is a lady named Muriel Bowser and she gave a speech as she became the mayor in her inauguration speech where during her campaign, there was some um, discussion that Major League Soccer might leave the D.C. area, and she made a campaign pledge to keep Major League Soccer in the D.C. area so that Orlando City could play them and beat them every year, right? And, uh, but she kept it there, and in her speech, she said, 
some people thought we couldn't keep Major League Soccer in D.C., but I'm here to tell you that it'll always be here. We're united in this effort, and people cheered. Again, in politics, you see this all the time. The people who doubt me early on, I'm going to call back the receipts later on and, and show you in my victory. It happens in sports. It happens in politics. It happens in art. Lucille Ball one of the most famous actresses of the 20th century, starred in I Love Lucy. Early on in her career, the executives and the producers, they, they lumped her into this, this um, typecast of just being a B-movie actress. She was always going to be just below where the A-list celebrities are. And she used that as motivation to charge ahead and to, to voyage and uh, forge a path for herself in the future. And, and eventually ended up becoming a, a huge, uh, wealthy star on the hit show I Love Lucy. And in her biography, she talks about this, how she used that early motivation to help catapult her for where she wanted to be. In modern life in America, we keep the receipts. We know who's doubted us. And when we achieve our goals, we, it makes it that much sweeter because we can look back on all the doubters and say, ha, you thought I couldn't do it. And look at me, now I can do it. It's the way we think about things. It's true in sports. It's true in politics. It's true in art. And if we're honest here today, it's also true in our spiritual lives, both in how we think about ourselves and how we think about God. In ourselves, we look at people who tell us we can't do things and we go, oh, okay. Even people in the church who tell us we can't do things, we go, oh, I'll show you, I'll achieve that thing, I'll do that thing. And man, we just have no time for the doubters. We just dismiss them, push them to the side. And also before God, we go, oh man, I've... I'm someone who today is doubting and, and maybe just maybe because I'm doubting, God remembers, he's keeping the receipts. He doesn't know, he doesn't think that I believe in, oh man, and maybe God's just gonna cast me aside. But can I tell you something really amazing about Jesus? Jesus does not operate based on the modern American understanding of a hero. In fact, Jesus has a radical approach to how uh, he uh, looks at us and thinks about us everybody who follows him. And I want us to look at that in Matthew's gospel here. In Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 16, a very familiar passage for some of us here today, the Great Commission. Here's what Matthew writes at the end of this gospel. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church family, I want to look at this passage in three sections. Three sections. Number one, I want you to notice the assignment from Jesus. Number two, I want you to notice the audience before Jesus. And number three, I want you to notice the amazing news about Jesus. So let's jump in. Notice first, the assignment from Jesus. In verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the assignment. And the assignment from Jesus is really a rabbinical commissioning ceremony. 
That's what's happening here. At that time period, there was no major college system. Rollins College would not have existed, fellas. So, sorry about that. Um, there was no a public school. There were no private schools. There were no charter schools. There was no university system. There is no centralized or decentralized mode of education. The way in Jesus' time that someone would have been educated is that a rabbi would have come to your town and he would have gone to the, the center of the town, the town square or an amphitheater. He would have spoken about his philosophy or his worldview and uh, the wealthy parents or the parents who are really ambitious, if they had male children, they would send those male children at an early age to go study with that rabbi. They would pay the rabbi, they'd make some kind of arrangement, and that rabbi would take on some apprentices, some disciples, and he would train them. They would, uh, in many cases, live with him, they would walk with him to different places, they would see how he eats and how he goes to sleep, and they would see how he wakes up, and they would see how he thinks about things, they would constantly ask him questions. And this is really the portrait we see of Jesus with the disciples. You always see Jesus walking on a road and the disciples are having this, you know, conversation about who's the greatest and Jesus is, you know, waxing philosophical with them. That was what you would do in that time period. A rabbi would take on these young students, males, and he would meet with them for years. And then when they were ready, he would commission them to now go and be rabbis, to go to other towns, and to raise up apprentices, disciples, to listen to their philosophies. And that's how the Torah, that's how the law would spread throughout regions. This was the educational system. This is amazing. Jesus is doing the same thing here, only he's not just picking young men. He, he's, he's, picking, he's not just picking the children of aristocracy or the children of wealthy parents. He is picking ordinary people and he is pulling them in and he is saying, you've spent time with me. Now I'm commissioning you to go and be a rabbi, teaching them about me and about my teachings and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's taking common people He's taking fishermen. He's taking tax collectors. He's taking sinners. He's taking people he just saw by a lake somewhere with a net and was like, hey, you look good enough. Uh, you, you want to come follow me? And he was like, oh, uh, can I bring my brother? Yeah, sure. Come on. Let's go. Right? This is a party. We're going. He's just pulling common, everyday, ordinary people and pulling them into this rabbinical tradition, teaching them, equipping them, giving them opportunities to practice ministry hands-on, and then in this moment is commissioning them to go and change the world through personal ministry. That's the assignment. It's an incredible assignment. It's the most significant assignment there has ever been. God's plan for saving the world, redeeming the world, and making it right again is happening through these common, ordinary people. That's the assignment. I want you to also notice the audience. I was reading this passage a few uh, months ago, and I, I got to verse 17, and I've, I've read this passage a lot. But normally we start with verse 18. That's kind of how that, if you're ever going to memorize this, you kind of start with verse 18. And I started in verse 16 because that's a paragraph break. And I thought, oh, I, let me just read this for context here. And I got to verse 17, and it just it shocked me because it's the audience. The 11 disciples went to Galilee in verse 16, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, comma, but... Some doubted. Now, that word doubt there, it's only used one other time in Matthew's gospel. It's a little bit earlier. It's the scene where Peter is walking out on the water. Jesus, you know, is walking out of the water. Disciples are in the boat. It's kind of stormy, whatever. It's a boat. And, uh, you know, Jesus is walking on water. And he calls to Peter and says, come out to me. And Peter just, for whatever reason, gets out and starts walking towards Jesus. And he's walking on water. 
And then at one point, he realizes the situation going on, takes his eyes off of Jesus. He looks at the water. He sees fish swimming underneath him, recognizes this is not a sandbar. This is some kind of supernatural thing happening. And he starts to, and the word there is waver. He starts to doubt. He starts to sink. And he has to cry out to Jesus to help him so he doesn't drown. Apparently, sweeter, uh, Peter is not a swimmer. Uh, that's what we can deduce from this, right? And he's wavering. He's doubting. That's the same word there. Some of them doubted. Some of them wavered. Some of them just weren't sure what was going on. Some of them were kind of skeptical. Some of them were just like, I, I don't know, Jesus. Really? Jesus has just been resurrected from the dead. He is there physically before them. And some are going, this is amazing. They're worshiping him. And the others are going, I don't, I don't, man, I don't know if we should be doing this. I don't know if this is a good idea. Are you, are you sure? Me? Me? You're, you're giving this to me? And it says, some of them worship and some of them doubted. And verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, plural, both of them. The audience here for the greatest mission that God has ever given the planet is both worshipers and doubters. It's the people who woke up and had four quiet times this morning and had a smile on their face and got to church here. Or if you're online, you turned on your laptop, you had four quiet times before you did that, right? And you had your coffee. And when you came in, there was you know, someone who was just right behind you and the door was there. And you were like, okay. And you timed it out perfectly and you got to the door and you stood and opened it for them. And they walked in and said, bless you, son. And you said, thank you. And you walked in, you're feeling good about yourself. You went to go get some coffee in the cafe and they were like on the house. You're like, yeah, I am living the blessed life. You're here today. You're like, yes, great commission is for me. And then there's others of us, right? We woke up this morning. Maybe our power just came back on. Maybe you're like me. You didn't have power and the guy across the street did. And you're just like, and you had that moment. There was hatred in your heart a little bit. You got in your car and you slammed the door and you drove here and you were not so nice on I-4 coming up here, right? And you, we got a clap. Ooh, um, hmm. <laughs> I'm not looking in that direction. You may, it's awkward now, but bless, blessings. You know who you are, right? Some of us in here didn't clap, and now we're feeling guilty. We're like, I should have clapped. That was me, right? I'm a doubter. No, like, you know, you walk in and someone slammed the door before you. Oh, you went to the coffee place and they charged you double. And, you know, you got in here and you're just like, I feel like the worst Christian in the world. There is no way God could use me. I'm not sure about any of this. Worshippers and doubters. And this leads us to the third thing to notice. I want you to notice the amazing news about Jesus. And this is the big idea. Jesus entrusts his most important assignment to all of his followers, both those who worship and those who doubt. Did you hear that? Jesus commissions everybody who follows him into the great commission, into personal ministry to your neighbors, to your friends, to your loved ones, to your coworkers, everyone, whether today you are the best worshiper or the worst doubter, he commissions both of us if we're following him. That's the, the good news of the gospel for those of us who are following Jesus. And this is significant for two reasons. It's significant, number one, because it challenges um, our dominant cultural narrative about religion. It challenges our, our cultural assumptions about how religion works. Most religions that you know, most religions that you know operate like this. Be a good person, pray enough, fast enough, 
Do enough good works. Take care of the poor and the widow and the, and the orphan. Take care of all these people. Do the right thing. Make sure you do the right thing at the right time in the right way in the right sequence every day. Don't ever mess up. More pluses and checks on the plus side than the negative side. Do all these things. Find a religious leader. Enter into some type of spiritual patronage so that he or she sees you. Maybe he writes a book. Maybe he's featured on Oprah, whatever happens, right? And he brings you into his confidence or her confidence and secretly teaches you the inner workings of this religious worldview. But you got to keep up all your check boxes. Don't ever forget that. Don't stop praying. Don't stop fasting. Don't stop doing all these other things. Make sure you don't say any bad words. Make sure you say the right words. Stay with the guru. Do your thing. And then maybe at one point, he or she will impart to you the secret wisdom of the universe. And once you have it, then you are truly enlightened and then you have your purpose and then you can write your book and get your book deal. And then you can be uh, featured on Oprah or whoever's show is on. And then at that point, you'll be the exclusive person at the top of the religious pyramid and everyone can come to you. They can take a patronage and it just perpetuates the system. That's modern religion. You have to be good enough. You have to be qualified enough. You have to be worthy enough. You have to be enough enough. And this is the good news of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, anyone. Some, some restrictions apply, Jesus. Some restrictions apply. No restrictions apply. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny self, take up cross, follow after me, and I will make you fishers of men, the worshipers and the doubters alike. The good news of Jesus is that he has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Amen? But that's only half the gospel. The other half of the gospel is he's gonna to continue to do in us what we cannot do in ourselves, shape our character, bring us people to minister to, equip us, encourage us, inspire us, get us to where we need to be. And so knowing that he's gonna do that, Jesus calls all of us to follow him in great commission ministry to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, whether we're worshipers, whether we're doubters. It challenges the common cultural narrative. It also does something else that challenges us. It might even overwhelm us just a little bit. We might be hearing this right now going, oh, I, don't, I don't know about this. I, I'm just kind of an ordinary person. I'm no one special. There's nothing amazing about me. Are you, are you sure me? Am I not the exclusion? It challenges us. We're, we're, we're scared every time we understand the standard Jesus calls us to and inspires us to and, and gives us uh, experiences to move towards because it just seems so overwhelming. What could I possibly do? You know, let me tell you a story. Um, a few years ago, uh, when the Slinky Dog first opened at Disney World, we, we know the Slinky Dog. Young adults, I know y'all know about the Slinky Dog over there, right? There's a Slinky Dog Dash. It's a ride at Disney World. They were opening up. They were testing it out. And we got this email. And the email said, um, uh, hey, Doug, we would love for your family to come to Extra Magic Hours. And I was like, awesome. And they were like, at four in the morning. And I was like, less awesome. Uh, so... But we got our kids, we have two kids, and for the sake of protecting them, I'm gonna just call them Kid A and Kid B because, you know, this is maybe embarrassing, but we got, we got thumbs up for this, but you know what I mean, right? Um, anyway, so we, we get to this, you know, slinky dog thing, and uh, we get there, it's dark o'clock, and we walk through, and we navigate, and there's a line, and we get in our line, and, right? And we're looking at it, we could see it going, and there's ups, and there's downs, and it goes fast, and it goes slow, and it's exhilarating, and, right, we're just like, okay, what's going on? And, I've got kid A who says, this is awesome. Can't wait to jump on this thing, like jumping up and down. I've got kid B who's going, I don't think this is a good idea, dad. Um, 
uh, you know, I don't know if we've had OSHA out here to check this thing. Uh, this seems really dangerous. Uh, are we the guinea pigs? I don't know what's happening here. What did you get me into? And every few feet along the line as we're waiting in the line, I've got kid A going, yeah, let's jump on board. And I've got kid B going, I really don't want to do this. this no, can we turn around? Can we sit out? How about mom and kid A goes, me and you, we stay here, right? Doing that whole thing. And Natalie and I had to look to our kids and we had to tell them the same thing, which was this, listen, we're going to do this. This is going to happen. There are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. And it's going to go fast at parts and it's going to go slow at parts. And it's going to be um, overwhelming, but it's also going to be exhilarating. And I promise you, by the end of this thing, you're going to love it. They're like, okay, okay, okay. We go a few more feet. I don't know about this, Dad. Listen, listen, listen. There are going to be ups and they're going to be downs. We're, we're doing this. There are going to be ups. There are going to be downs. It's going to go fast. It's going to go slow. It's going to be overwhelming, but it's also going to be exhilarating. And I promise you, at the very end of this, you're going to love this thing. We finally get up there. You know, Kid A and Mom get in. And, you know, yeah, me and Kid B sit there. I'm having to like, you know, strap them in like this, like duct tape them. Right? All right, so we, we get in and we go and sure enough, ups and downs and fast and slow and overwhelming, and exhilarating and the whole thing. And we get off the ride and we're walking back and we're like, hey, what'd you think? What'd you think? Oh, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Both kids like, yeah, yeah. And we get to the edge uh, of the line as we're about to exit the queue and the Disney person there, it's still dark 30 by this point, right? And she's like, hey, do you wanna ride this again? And both my kids look at us and they go, let's go, right? And we jump back in the line and we get on. Y'all, we read that thing six times in the morning. Six times in a row, we would just get off and go back on, get off and go back on, get off and go back on, get off and go back on. It was incredible. They loved it. It was great. It's one of their favorite rides today. Great commission, personal ministry for some of us, especially those who doubt. It can seem overwhelming. But the same thing that we told our kids, it's the same thing that God wants to say to you. Listen, in personal ministry, go and engage your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your kids who are far away from God, the parents you hang out with at the playground, whatever you do, there are gonna be some ups and there are gonna be some downs. It's gonna go fast, it's gonna go slow. It's gonna be overwhelming, but it's also gonna be exhilarating. And I promise you, if you'll just get on board, it's gonna be so much fun. That moment when that parent you're with that you've just been hanging out with at the little parent deal and they know that you go to First Orlando so they start asking you Jesus questions and you start telling Jesus questions and the first, at first they're just like, I don't know about that. And then they keep coming back asking you questions and they say, hey, I wanna come to church. And then they come to church with you. That first time they come to church with you where you bring them in and they're not freaked out, right, by Christians. They're just like, oh, Christians, right? It's like not one of those moments and they sit with you and they sit through a service and then afterwards you go get coffee and you say, well, with trembling in your voice, did you like it? And they say, yeah, that wasn't bad. And just, you know, outside you gotta be cool, right? Because in that moment, there was a lot of culture, there, there was a lot of relational chips you had to spin there for that moment. But they like church and you're like, cool, 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 cool. But inside you're like, I'm a Baptist, but I'm dancing. I'm a Baptist, but I'm dancing. Yeah, like you're just so happy. You go, man, that was crazy. That was ups and downs and fast and slow and overwhelming and exhilarating. And I wanna do it again. God, who are more people that I can talk to about you? Who are more people I can engage? The good news is that Jesus gives this thing to all those who follow him both those who are worshipers and those who are doubters. And so first Orlando, I wanna just give you three quick application points here before we all head out here to our groups or to lunch. Three application points here. If you're gonna be someone 
who jumps on board and jumps in and gets involved in personal ministry, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, here are three things I just want to keep, have you keep in mind. Number one, number one, when a leader asks you to step up or step in, lean towards yes. When a leader asks you to step up or step in, lean towards yes. And here's what I mean by that. Every minister that you know at some point was just a person sitting in a chair somewhere in church. Everyone, all of us. You go talk to any of us who are professional ministers, whatever. At some point, we were just a person sitting in a chair and someone came up to us and shoulder tapped us and said, hey, do you want to serve in this way? And we didn't know it, but that was the movement of God pulling us into a life of personal ministry. If you could go back to 16-year-old Doug, which is when I became a Christian, uh, I was an agnostic, kind of atheist kind of kid, uh, just didn't know Jesus from anybody, right? And I started going to church and I got radically saved and wanted to follow Jesus. I, I just kind of thought, this is it. I'm just going to go to church. And my youth minister came up to me at one point and said, the shoulder tapped me and said, hey, have you ever thought about being on our youth leadership team? And I was like, no, I would never have thought of that. I'm a brand new, like, I, no, like, this isn't me, me, like me. And he was like, yeah, I think you'd be great. And I didn't know any better, but that was my first step into a lifestyle of personal ministry. Every group leader you know, every super Christian that you know, at some point they were not a super Christian. They were just an ordinary Christian sitting in a chair and someone by the leading of God's Holy Spirit shoulder tapped them and said, would you like to serve in this way? And now listen, this is not a pitch for you to join serving us here. This is um, just some application about listening to the Holy Spirit as leaders come alongside you and try to call you into something more. There may be someone who is doing some ministry outside of our church, maybe a local missions agency or a nonprofit in town, or you may know somebody in another city and they're doing something and they call you one day and they say, hey, I'd love for you to come uh, help me with this one particular project. And if they do, as best you can, try to say yes. Find any excuse to say yes, because that just might be God's calling on you to take another step into personal ministry. We had a great example of that here today, by the way, in our baptism. Did y'all see that? Did y'all like that with the baptism? Right. One of our coaches or one of our, one of our key volunteers just happens to be in his side gig, right, when he's not volunteering, a coach at Rollins College. Go Tars. Tars? Okay, that's like an anchor, right? Okay. Um, he's a baseball coach. You know, look, he probably at some point was, we haven't talked about it. I guess we could talk afterwards, right? But my guess is he started serving around here at some point. Someone shoulder tapped him. And then he thought, oh, I could do this in a personal ministry uh, in my, to my baseball team. Now, he's not a baseball coach so he can evangelize them, but he's just a Christian trying to love Jesus everywhere he goes, wherever he goes. He's trying to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything Jesus taught him. God gives this commission to all of us, worshiper or doubter. And maybe, just maybe, your entry point into that might be a leader around here, shoulder tapping you, inviting you to serve, or a leader in our community asking you to step into their nonprofit. And when that happens, try to say yes. Number two, don't give yourself, or don't give part of yourself to multiple church things. Give all of yourself to one church thing or one ministry thing, we could say that, because it might be outside the church. In general, don't try to commit to way too many things. And I think there's two reasons for that. Number one, um, because it's better to have 
more focused participation in one area where you can really improve. You'll, I think, maximize your joy and your development as a young minister in one area, uh, just getting reps there. You know, so if you're serving in kids right now and that's your thing, man, I would just say go all in on kids. Uh, you know, someone else may come along and say, hey, have you thought about this? And unless the Lord's leading you to that other thing, try to stick around in kids because I think God wants to develop you more there. If you're serving with a local missions organization somewhere in town or a partner, keep serving there, go all in and there. In general in life, it's better to be wholly committed to one thing than halfway committed into other things, okay? Um, just in general, uh, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, third thing here, here's the, um, here's the main thing. If you have Jesus in you, then you have all you need. Some of you are here today and you might be a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, maybe you're a doubter or maybe you're a worshiper and you're overwhelmed. It's okay to be overwhelmed. The calling to personal ministry is an overwhelming thing. It's something you could not do on your own, right? But if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. All power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. And when he commissions us, he commissions us with the full authority of heaven and earth to make sure that we not only have a calling and a direction, but he will empower and encourage and inspire and get us to where we need to be. As long as you have Jesus, you have everything you need. But, but Doug, I, I don't have seminary training. Well, he might bring that along the way, okay? Oh, but Doug, I, I don't know how to, you know, well, that's okay, he, he might bring it along the way. Well, but I don't know the right people. He'll, he'll help you meet the right people. Isn't it funny? And I, I would just say this, I bet there are people here today you may feel like the worst doubter in the world. You're like, man, I'm just the world's worst Christian. I love Jesus, but you know, all these other things. And my suspicion is God still routinely brings you people uh, who knock on your door and are like, hey, can you tell me more about Jesus? And you're like, you wanna hear from me about Jesus? Why does this happen? Because Jesus calls all his followers to great commission ministry. <laughs> all you need is to follow him. Let me close by telling you this story here. It's the story of a guy in the Old Testament named Moses. You may uh, have read it a time or two. Moses leaves, he grows up in Egypt. Egypt is the most, um, you know, prominent country at that time period. It's not really a country, it's just kind of a large civilization. Moses leaves, goes out in the wilderness, and he's there for 40 years, just in the wilderness. He gets married, he has babies, his babies have babies, his babies' babies has babies. He's now an old man, it's been 40 years in the wilderness. He's 80, or at least in his 80s. I mean, can you imagine being 80 years old? Your second career has just been standing out as a shepherd in the wilderness, like spending all your time with animals. Can you imagine the conversations Moses is having in his mind, which is, man, I just, you know, I don't know, Lord, is this it for me? Is this all? I don't know. Is there more for me? And he's probably by this point 80 thinking, yep, I've lived my life. I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. God has already used me in the way he's gonna use me. I'm kind of done here. I'm just gonna tend to my sheep and love my family. And that's it. That's it for me. Just an 80 year old man in the wilderness. And then in Exodus three, he goes up on this mountain and God is there in the form of a fire that never goes out. And God calls to Moses and says, I am the Lord, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. He takes off his sandals and he approaches the Lord. And then God says the most amazing thing. He says, Moses, I'm calling you right now in this season of your life to go to Pharaoh of Egypt and to tell him to let my people go. God gives this amazing 
ministry calling to the most unlikely person. And you would think Moses, after being there all those years, going, man, I don't know what's going on. You'd think Moses would be like, yes, Lord, let's go. No, that's not what happens. If you read, immediately he starts doubting. Oh, but God, I don't talk too good. Uh, what if they don't listen to me, God? I, I don't know. I don't have a good voice. And oh, well, what, what is your name? I don't even know your official name. They'll never believe that I'm with you. And he's just given doubt after excuse, after thing, after what. And again, you would think in this story, this is the moment where God would go, thank you for your time. You can exit now. Uh, close the door on your way out. Uh, if you could just send in the next guy in the hallway, I'll give this amazing calling to him. No, it's not what God does. He says, no, Moses, it's you. I'm giving you this calling. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. God has always been the God who gives his most significant life calling of personal ministry to everyone who follows him, both the worshiper and the doubter alike. And so here's my question for us here today. What is God calling me to step in or step out on in my own personal ministry? Who is shoulder tapping me today that I need to try to say yes to so that I can continue taking better steps in ministry? Let me pray for us. Jesus, may you raise up disciple makers at First Orlando that will help our city become more beautiful for your glory and for our good. May you encourage the worshipers and even more so encourage the doubters today. And may you help us to clearly distinguish when you're moving and where we need to step. And again, would you do all of this for your glory and for our good and the good of the city we love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.